all we're trying to do is just set the tone to make this um, industry that we have to experience, you know, like a little less insufferable. That's all we're trying to do. <laughs> what y'all were setting me were setting the bar real low, but that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> Welcome to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer divide. And today, I am recording from a hotel room. I'm on the road second time this week, um, but we didn't want to let things slide. We're going to try something different. We're going to go back to this format where we're talking about events, but what happened this week. Um, so, George, I know you had a big thing, a big to-do. Uh, why don't you start? What did you have this week? Yeah, so this week we had the uh, CyberX CISO Forum Canada, which um, it's a pretty cool event. Uh, CyberX is like a big uh, cybersecurity event and marketing company up here. Um, they've really done some instrumental work bringing together the cybersecurity industry across all uh, sectors, like public, private, academia. Um, so really, this was kind of a celebration of bringing together just senior executives like CIOs mm -hmm. and CISOs that were the main participants. And then you had a bunch of student volunteers as well. And they were all just, you know, trying to obviously help out the event, but then getting a chance to network with people on the fly. We had a hacking competition that I was, uh, I, I helped administer and I was a judge for. Nice. Um, we had uh, Wendell Clark, who's kind of a big deal up here. He's an NHL Hall of Famer, uh, Toronto. Uh, so he kind of did the opening keynote. A lot of people who, and you might find this kind of funny, a lot of people who were in the room, not necessarily hockey fans, they were just like, so what do all these hockey fights have to do with cyber? <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it was just kind of funny, but it's always good to have a morning keynote that has like nothing to do with security that can tie yeah. it back in. Um, I got to meet Chris Roberts in person, which by the way, fucking brilliant. Like it's just, you know, like you hear a lot of hype about people and they always tell you mm -hmm. like never meet your heroes. Not that I like, consider the dude a, a hero, quote unquote, or anything like that. I just think he's a genuinely cool dude. And he's authentic. Um, but this guy, man, like he arrived, uh, you know, through some pretty hairy conditions. We had a big winter storm in the last couple of mm -hmm. days and, uh, you see him there. My first time physically seeing him, it was like 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I just finished meeting with some other execs. We had just gone to dinner and stuff and I'm walking by the, the big room where they have like the, the meals or whatever. And I see him just holding court with like a table of like maybe like a dozen, well, a dozen plus students, like student volunteers. Mm -hmm. And he's just telling them stories. Like he's just, he's sharing stories. He's talking to them. He's taking their questions. Dude's like in a hoodie and his PJ pants, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm like, you know, you don't see any other executive, let alone like one of the, the headline kind of stars of this whole event out there just putting their time out like that. And I kind of knew at that point, I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's not just about some kind of online hype. It's not just the show he does with Danny, even though it's a great show. Like, the guy actually lives it. And then, you know, he's one of those rare people that actually um, practices what he preaches. And then, obviously, his keynote when he actually did speak was pretty incredible. And, you know, the second night, um, I, I don't know, I didn't realize the guy loved whiskey as much as he did. This guy. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> this, I got to tell you this story. So he fucking goes to the to the LCBO, which is our licensed liquor store up here, buys like two grand worth of top shelf whiskey, like a bunch of different types of bottles, mm -hmm. sets them up in this room and just says, all right, guys, you guys want to hang out? Let's drink and let's talk. 
and he's just having a full-on conversation. Students, other executives, you, if you're walking by, you were welcome to join. And eventually, like the funny thing is, I mean, it was getting late, like super late. This thing outlasted the event's main party even. Um, hotel staff had to come and, and boot him out because they're like, uh, sir, you're not licensed to actually uh, be selling liquor here. And he's like, I'm not selling liquor. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just pouring it like, for friends. Yeah, I was just like, this, this is a lot of liquor, sir. <laughs> like, so like, obviously, like, you know, it, it, kind of ironic, the Canadian, uh, I guess, lameness of it, it uh, kind of rain on his parade. But um, no, man, he was just a super cool dude. Overall, though, like, you know, like, we had a lot of really good experiences and we can kind of go through if you have kind of like specific questions on it. But I, I think as a whole, it was really, it was a good step forward for industry in Ontario and specifically in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was pretty cool to be a part of it. I really hope that those students appreciate what they got there. You know, it's sort of like if they're not in the cyber circles on LinkedIn, they may not know that they, you know, it's like you caught, caught the Rolling Stones playing in a, a dive bar. Yeah. It's like this, these are like golden nuggets of wisdom in the stories. And I, I hope that they um, take that to heart for sure. Oh yeah. And I think the big thing too, you know, as an executive is kind of seeing his behavior and um, he's just a guy just to never let it get to his head. You know, like I'm sure mm-hmm. he has his moments or he has moments we all do, but you know, I, I really just appreciate uh, seeing that as like a lived example of how someone actually keeps it humble and how they continually give back to the community, not just in like high publicity moments where they're, you know, getting like LinkedIn cloud or industry mm-hmm. cloud for it. This is like, this dude is, is literally in a hoodie just talking to students, trying to share wisdom with no cameras or nobody in sight. Yeah. If anyone was yeah. taking camera shots, it was it was the the students who were, you know, trying to basically fanboy on him or fangirl, yeah. I should say, as well. There were a lot of women there, too. Um, and, and, you know, he's just the humblest dude. And, and I also, you know, you see some other people sometimes at these events and they really just, um, you know, like they're not necessarily rude, but they definitely have an air of having their head up their own asses. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, or they're used to maybe being on guard and trying to protect yeah. their time. Yeah, they're trying yeah. to parry, parry. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, I wish I could have been there. I was in uh, Columbus, Ohio, running a women in cyber event for our community, which we call Vision and Voice. But um, I will tell you, Columbus, Ohio, little known at least to me, so I, I might be naive there, but what a cybersecurity community. We have had dozens of these women in cyber events, and we have tried this new thing where we uh, invite the execs to bring a plus one from the, the newcomer class. And this is the first one where we had a really good representation of men, CISOs, senior leaders who were bringing, you know, first-year engineers, stock analysts from their team who happen to be women. But the way that this community is so tight-knit, they all know each other, they all support each other. It was like something I'd never seen. I don't know. We, we tend to hold these at the big tentpole events like RSA and Black Hat. So I think this is different because it's local and on the ground. But it was really invigorating to see 
to see that kind of like mentorship and sponsorship and just advocacy across the board. Sellers were there too. And like, no one was hard selling anyone. They just, they all knew each other. Uh, it was just a really great vibe. It was a really good vibe. It sounds to me like that's more of like a regional event vibe versus an international event. Yeah. Like sure. Even for CyberX, like it, it was, it was national in scope and I had executives from all over the country and, and folks flying in from all over to participate. Mm-hmm. But realistically, it was it was a Ontario like Toronto based event, and yeah. you know a lot of the people you'd see there are the same folks that you see across every other event, or folks that you do business with. So I think that's that's kind of what's happening in Columbus. Is probably those folks do business with each other. There's probably a, a conference circuit that's regional. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree, like it's. I think that's the difference between a black hat or an RSA, where you know, you're dealing with strangers, like literally thousands and thousands of strangers and you're all there for the same thing, but it's like, you don't know who's going to be worth your time and who's not, you don't know what people's angles are. And, you know, yeah, it's hard to see. It's like a lot of pomp and circumstance. And it's, you know, you, I I mean, I, I don't know what it's like to be a CISO, but I imagine you walk into a room that you're invited to at an RFA. (laughs) Like, am I walking into like the feeding frenzy versus you know a room full of friendlies you know what's funny is like the place that i've actually tended to make oftentimes the best connections at those types of events you have to wait in line for like so many fucking things man you always Mm -hmm. gotta wait in line for stuff waiting in line you wait in line you're like hey man what are you up to and like people just seem to have their guards down in those moments Mm -hmm. and they'll just they're not there to pitch you or whatever it is they'll just be like hey i'm just as bored as you and you almost become like vacation friends it's like okay well i guess you're my buddy for this conference i'll visit you around dude <laughs> yeah yeah and it's a different vibe for sure when it's you know a finite time period whereas you know you have to it's an endurance game when you're <laughs> in black oh, yeah. you're covering massive distances in those casinos and an rsa you're kind of sprawled out all over san francisco um, and you have to like, you can't go in hard the first day or you'll be done. You'll be exhausted. You know, what's the toughest part about honestly, the black hat thing is the transition day with DEF CON. Mm-hmm. They have DEF CON usually at like Caesar's palace and they'll have black hat at Mandalay. And if you know anything about Vegas and the strip, yeah. those are pretty you know, Not- substantial <laughs> distances apart. Yes. So you're running back and forth, trying to catch different events, trying to make sure you got your badge. You're going to wait forever for your fucking badge too. It happens every fucking year. But like, you know, then you get to DEF CON and it's like, you forget that DEF CON is not necessarily the corporate sponsored event. It's a community mm-hmm. thing. So like the setup is like mostly done, but they don't really get operations going until like day two, I would argue. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's, it's learning to deal with the discord and the sheer mass of people while traveling all that distance. It's a different fucking thing than like, let's say you go to an event in Columbus, Ohio, everyone knows everyone or, you know, they're yeah. like second or third level connections and people are probably just genuinely happy to see each other because it's post-COVID. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a good part of the reason we wanted to hold this event is we realized when we were talking with leaders that, you know, their new hires, if they were hired in the pandemic, they do not have this history of being able to meet other people and being able to talk out problems or, you know, and they, they're lacking that access. So they're, they're, their social circles are substantially smaller. This actually brings up another issue that came up when I was talking to a lot of the other execs this week. Um, a lot of the Gen Zers, the folks who were just coming out of school, 
and you know, especially they've, they've graduated in the in the COVID era, the lockdown era. Mm-hmm. You know, all these companies, the work is remote, or you know, you're going to these hybrid environments where people aren't really getting close to each other. I think there might be a certain set of business skills, like really important business skills, the ability to connect, and emotional yeah. intelligence, that those folks are missing. That I think. Early in our careers, man, I don't know about you, but I know like the water cooler kind of relationships that yeah. you end up building, those are really important for like the rest of your career because you start off as like a group of like level ones or whatever mm-hmm. in your folks. Then you eventually go on to different shops and you all become big deals in your own rights or whatever. But those people are still your friends from back in the day. And those are the people you're going to lean on as a professional network. I think a lot of those kids, I, I say kids, you know, they're in their 20s and 30s. They lack that. And when they go to a conference, they don't really know how to, how to um, you know, establish it. Like, for example, mm-hmm. you meet some of these volunteers. And I'm not saying this is a problem. You meet some of these volunteers. You talk to them for, like, maybe less than 30 seconds or a minute. And they're like, oh, can I connect you on LinkedIn and stuff, right? Like, yeah. first of all, you just follow me. But it's like, I don't want to connect. I don't, I don't know you, man. We have no – there's no yeah. form. We haven't even talked yeah. long enough to have one. Yeah, and we I have, like, com- competing norms. You know, you have like yeah. a different understanding like you're of such how in that a rush games to like play. connect with you. Yeah, that it's just like you're like, well, why don't you take some time to talk to me, and then let's see if we're actually worth being connected over. Otherwise, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's just a polite conversation, and see you around, dude. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that is, I know they're, I know what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to get that expertise. It's, they're not necessarily like trying to ingratiate themselves and climb anything, but it, it has a feeling of being transactional. If it, you know, if there isn't a genuine connection there. Um, but yeah, I, I get your point. And also like uh, when you're in a physical office and I will say this is somebody who, who has dug remote work, but I will say when I worked in an office, sometimes the relationships you build at the snack area, the kitchen, the water cooler are people you don't immediately work with and they can provide really valuable insight into problems like, Hey, I keep having this issue with my manager or what, and they're, they're kind of outside perspective. But when you're stuck in zoom land, like you only see like the same people <laughs> day in, day out and get, it's, uh, it's a little airtight. It's hard to, to get out there. And not only that, like it's hard to recognize them. So like, for example, you see some people you only see on a zoom call and you realize that they're either like a lot taller or a lot shorter than you know <laughs> yes. what they look like. Or you see some people and like, all you've seen them on is like their LinkedIn picture. And then you see them in real life. You're like, Oh, that's, um, an old picture <laughs> to put it politely. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean, you know? Yeah, for sure. And like my camera is mounted high on my monitor in the home office because I have the monitors at eye level. So it's always sort of looking down at me and everyone that's consistent. Everyone's like, oh, you're much taller than I thought. And I was like, yeah, because the camera's always like making me look really short because it looks down at me. Um, But yeah, I think you're right. You're right about you got to different home that EQ and Oh, there's a really, there's a writer, LM Sakasis. He writes the convivial society newsletter. He pointed out really early on in the pandemic. One of the problems with zoom in this video is I cannot look at you in your eyes and look at me at the same time. Right. It's like, you're always like looking slightly off. Whereas if I'm standing in front of you at the water cooler, like we have a face to face, I'm pulling in all that like nonverbal feedback, you know? Anyway, there's, there's something there for sure. 
Yeah, like, and I think as well, like, and I was just, I was thinking about this, and I kind of wanted to talk to you about it, but, you know, it's been pretty busy since I got back. I almost think sometime we should maybe almost do up, like, whether it's an episode or we, we do up a blog post about it, like a, a surviving conferences guide, you know, because yeah, I think a lot of people need to relearn how to actually get the most out of a conference experience, depending on what your role is. Um, like, for example... And this is just some of the things we were talking about in after action with like CyberX, because obviously I was the co chair mm-hmm. for the conference. A lot of these like sponsored vendors, like they'll put up speakers because that's part of like getting a sponsorship, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what needs to happen is the people that you select, especially if they're representing your company, they need to realize they're not just there to push product or services, right? Like, even though that's obviously part of the whole shtick of the thing even though you can't be like overt about it there's a game to it that's a separate discussion um be entertaining like if Damn, you man. find your topic right? boring like fucking i don't want to listen to it the crowd doesn't want to listen to it so why like why are you there dude if you're at a conference and you got like more than 20 words on a slide i'm not gonna fly it's not like it's not like a presentation in your office. Like people cannot watch somebody on a on a stage. It's not a Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. So they got to look left and right and hear you and read at the same time. That is not a modality that the human mind is meant for. And so if you're presenting slides like you would for like project buy-in or something, like eh. put me to sleep, man. Like it should just be like a picture that illustrates what you're talking about. Shouldn't I shouldn't have to read what this stuff behind you? Well, and I'll say this is like if anyone listening to this episode happens to be like an executive and they have to regularly speak at events, if you're new to it, just a certain cue, like unless you have like a spotlight shining in your eyes, because sometimes that happens too when you're on stage, mm-hmm. take a look around the stage and really, if people are pulling out their cell phones while you're talking and like the majority <laughs> of the room is, and that's what they've been looking most of the time, you've lost that audience. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like I, I, I end up on panels multiple times a year or I end up speaking. My biggest indicator that I'm on point in my formula is people are actually paying attention to what I'm saying after the first five minutes. Because mm-hmm. if it's after the first five minutes and I'm seeing most of the rooms looking at phones, I'm going to try to find a way to speed up the wrap up so I can get the hell out of there. Cause like I've failed, I've lost that game. <laughs> right. 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 Or, or try to, turn the conversation into something. So you might have to go off script or something to, to get it back. Well, yeah, you got to read the room. You got to read the room. It's two ways. And that brings up another point in terms of preparing it. I don't mean to go into full on, like let's have a Toastmaster session hosted by George <laughs> and George, but it's like, you don't have to fucking script a thing. Cause it sounds boring and robotic. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. when you're trying to teach new salespeople, right? Cause I got another thing that I'm yeah. also doing too with, um, I, I gotta tell you about it, but we're helping train salespeople and student BDRs. Um, learn what the key points of your talk or whatever it is are, and then figure out how to express them in your own words. Like you said, you don't mm-hmm. need 20 more, 20 or more words on a slide. You just need like your five key points or whatever it is, or three key points. It's the same thing verbally. Like if I'm talking like, for example, if I'm talking about baseball, I'm not going to give you your whole, like a whole, you know, two or three paragraph scripted thing. I'm going to talk about what I love about baseball in my own words. And so it comes off as authentic when there's a lack of authenticity in what's being said. I think everyone checks out nowadays. You You can hear it from a mile away. Like if, if you don't believe it at a level, that's not, um, that's deeper than I memorized it. Like you can hear that in somebody's voice. 
you know, because they'll, they'll, the inflection of the, the cadences will be different. You were talking about new people and conference skills. I mean, we're about to go into this heavy season and that's, uh, we were talking about cyber people who are new trying to connect with you, but God help you. If it's like new account managers, new, uh, channel guys hitting the streets for the first time that there's, there's a, there's a subtle art there. Well, there's another thing too. If you're a vendor and you know, you're an AE or you're a marketing person and you've been assigned to work a booth or work a table for the love of God, actually seem like you care to be there because there were some companies, I'm not going to say who, but they were fucking just sitting around on couches the whole time. I'm like, I, I, I feel like you guys are having a private conversation that we're not welcome to. <laughs> like, well, yeah, body language, body language says a lot, right? If you're yeah. at your booth looking at your phone, you have told me your product is boring. <laughs> if you if you don't believe in it, and if, if I am the marketing person who has paid for you to be there, I'm going to go nuclear on you because it costs money to do those things, and you're representing the company. And if you're just like you know checking out, it's a problem. Well, that's also why, like you know, other than the whole like gender inequality issue of it. It's why I had such a major issue with booth bunnies at Black Hat, where I'm just like, yeah. man, like you guys are bringing in like promo girls from the bar just to like bring in all these like cyber nerds who may or may not have, you know, happy relationship lives in their personal lives. So they maybe might not get a lot of like attractive women talking to them on the regular. So it just ropes them in like a honey trap. Yeah, it's a honeypot. It's social engineering. That's, <laughs> that's all it is. And, and, and it's like, I feel bad for them because sometimes like I'll just, I don't know, I'll be killing time. Like, let's say I'm like this last year at Black Hat, I was, I was with uh, my, my sock manager and uh, my CIO was with me and they were checking out something they wanted to check out. And so I was kind of killing time. And I remember I, I saw a, it might've been F5 or one of the other booths and beside them, there was a smaller vendor I hadn't heard of before. It was like a local American one. And I was like, well, this technology looks cool. And so I go talk to the girl there and it says like, um, on her like badge, it says like marketing associate, which mm. I you know, came to realize afterwards. It's just like the a fancier term for a booth bunny. And you, you get to really get into the scratch. And I'm sorry, I'm fumbling my words a bit, but when you try to scratch beneath the surface of it and you ask her like any second or third level question beyond like mm. what's in the, whatever paper they gave her, you know, she'll quietly be like, Hey, look, like I'm just doing this for the weekend. Like, I don't, I can get you one of the other account managers. And then you're just like, well, fuck man, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm out of here. It's gross. That's just, I mean, I will, I will flame more. A brand that does that. <laughs> I mean, this is like the 21st fucking century and, uh, it's, it's wrong on so many levels. It's, it's sexist, it's misogynist, and it is honey potting, which is just like, I think we've said it before. Like, why are, you using attacker tactics to get cyber people to pay attention to your product. Gross. Yeah. I mean, we have like great conversations like with people like Erica, you know, we, we talked to Nico and we got hopefully mm -hmm. some come up with Danny soon. Like there are like 
real substantive women out there who could probably sell better than you and I ever could. 100%. Those are the people that like, I'd be interested in be like, Oh, tell me, like, you know, give them a shout out at Tynes, right? Like mm-hmm. my, uh, the person I deal with at Tynes on a, on an account level. Awesome. I think she's super talented. She's knowledgeable. She has a massive challenge of a portfolio to handle and she's killing it. And then when I went and saw their people, um, at Black Hat, their engineer was a female as well. But shout out to Rosie if you're listening on this. But she was brilliant. She was awesome. And I was like, holy shit, why can't there be more of this? Like, this is someone who actually knows their product. She live demoed it in front of us and actually managed to impress everyone. Right. And like, this is like, okay, so well, if, that, I mean, it's company culture, right? That means somewhere yeah. deep in the bones and DNA of that company, they believe that that's important and that expertise will win the day and not, you know, razzle dazzle. No, exactly. And I think that's, that's kind of what we're trying to push for with this. Like I, I had a bunch of people, some, I didn't realize that we had such a big listenership in Canada, which is cool. Um, but a bunch of people come up and be like, Hey man, I love your podcast, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I think all we're trying to do is just set the tone to make this, um, industry that we have to experience, you know, like a little less insufferable. That's all we're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> what y'all were setting me, were setting the bar real low, but that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> well, that's it, dude. And like, it was cool as hell. Cause like, you know, at the end of the day, like I had, um, some folks, I got, I got to circle back to you and talk to this, talk to you about this off the record. But like, I had people come up to me like, Hey man, I want to be on your show. I want to be on the show. And I'm just like, well, I, you know, we have the whole schedule and stuff, but it's cool that other executives and even some salespeople are like, Hey, I want to get my voice heard on this platform. And it's like, you know, that, you know, I would assume that they're not going to try to push snake oil or try to pull some bullshit narrative because you and I will both smash them for it. Like on air. <laughs> that this is not a safe space for that. <laughs> no. Right. So like, like we're not sponsored by anyone. So fuck up. We're going to say and do what we want. But like, I still think it's really cool that people are seeing the value of a very small, I want to call it like a rational revolution of a movement that you and I are trying to push in this industry. And I think we're finding allies now. I think it it might just be picking up just a touch of momentum. That's awesome. The revolution is rational. That's, that's what we're hanging. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me what you're up to this week, dude. Uh, I am here at uh, our sales kickoff for the year. So we're, you know, digging in to the use cases, providing value, a whole bunch of uh, stuff around how we're going to do events and avoid some of these bad practices that we're uh, talking about. So I'm excited. And there's a real openness to discussing new ideas. And we'll probably devote a little bit more time to this. You and I have gone back and forth a little bit on it. But, you know, we talk about in broad strokes how the work environment has changed. Oh, remote work, hybrid work, whatever. We also talk about how that has completely upended a lot for cyber. And so what I've been trying to tell uh, sellers, any anyone that I meet, including those in Columbus over here on our side, like, let's get out of our own heads. So we're talking about that from like a macro perspective. But what that also means is that teams have been like running at the limit for three years, whether, you know, like we've seen breach after breach. I mean, people are really tired and there's a lot of stress 
and add on top of that, that the only way to reach people now is their cell phones. So, um, I've been trying to tell people like, you can't go out there and say, Oh, the world has changed and the threat landscape is completely different. And you can't go out there and say that tone and not say like, Oh, I also think the entire sales process has also changed because you probably don't want a thousand cold calls on your personal device. Right. And that's the reckoning that I'm hoping that we're getting toward is yeah, the upheaval also is a massive and radical change in the way we sell cybersecurity. I don't know. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we talked about this too, and it's a thing that we've been, I guess, kind of sharing back and forth. A lot of these, um, we'll call it toxic sales tactics, where now they're trying to find information on second-level connections, so like wives, partners, mm-hmm. kid, whatever it is, right? And they're trying to connect through that. Um, I just, you know, I think we both shared similar kind of posts and stories about that. Um, I find that deeply, deeply offensive because like you're, you're, you're crossing so many boundaries and you're just clearly disrespecting someone's personal space. I just don't know how any rational, sane person would think that that's a good idea. Like I, I, I've never thankfully in my career found myself in such a place of desperation that I would think that doing something like that's a good idea. Like I've been in roles where I've had to sell uh, mm-hmm. typically insider sales because I, I was a, coming from a technical knowledge base, but you know, it's kind of, I, I just never thought in my head like, Hey, I need to get this guy's attention, this girl's attention in any way humanly possible. And you're like, how are you? Yeah, those you know, those ends do not justify those means. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond words. Like I think I told you that I had someone from a certain vendor that has consistently been bothering me for a while, and they got to a point where they like they kept calling me to do this thing where they double or triple call me if I didn't pick up the first time, and so I eventually like kind of gave him a nasty name on my phone. <laughs> and yeah, I, I was it. just like, like the last time I was just like, hey man. I told you my team will look at it. If I'm interested, I'll get back to you and just hung up. I didn't even give them a chance to like say anything. Cause it's just like, man, like how do you feel as that? Like you probably feel nothing. I'm sure it's yeah. just like, he doesn't give a shit. It's just on to the next call on the list. But well, it's if, like, if that's if true, that. if that's true, that is a serious problem of human empathy. That's how you breed sociopaths. Right. If you, uh, so if there's literally about the, uh, yeah. If there's no feeling, like, that is a huge problem. Oh, man. Like, I feel like I feel absolutely crushed when, let's say that, you know, I've been working with a salesperson for a while and we want to get this thing procured. And somewhere along, like, my stakeholder pipeline internally, whether it's CFO or, or architect or whatever it is, like, it's like, okay, well, this purchase gets stopped for budgetary or whatever reasons. Yeah. You know, I legitimately empathetically feel terrible for the folks on the vendor side that I'm working with because we probably crafted a real relationship and I trust them and I want their product and they want that sale and they want to help me out. We spent time, we spent effort. Um, and it's just like, fuck, like I feel like an absolute asshole. I feel like, and I know I shouldn't, it's not personal thing, it's business, but really like on the empathetic level, I feel for that person because you know, once you get to the point that you psychologically decide, like, yes, I want this product, mm-hmm. it kind of becomes part of that. Hey, man, like, I, 
I want to do good on this salesperson that I deal with. I want to help them make their quota. Like it almost reverses the wall that you put up. But yeah. it's free sales. Yeah. And then you you know you're gonna have to like deliver news. You're gonna be like, Yeah. So <laughs> no, fucking, dude, that fucking sucks. It really sucks. And like again, if we don't have empathy with each other on both client and sales sides, it just makes this industry like a mental health nightmare. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying for on the sales side. Like, what is the end game? I'm gonna trick you into a first meeting. I'm gonna like Jedi mind trick you into like a demo. I mean, like, what is what? There's no trust there. Like, I don't know what what you're what you're hoping to accomplish. I mean, maybe you'll get a logo if you're lucky, but I I bet that person doesn't feel great about it. (laughs) They just sort of felt like they were led along, or they stumbled into a trap or something. And you know, as you as you always talk about those. those phantom CISO chats that do exist, you know, then if you soil your name, then it gets passed into the, everyone else gets to hear about it. Yeah. My favorite part about this podcast and our relationship is getting a little peek behind that veil and seeing which vendors have like absolute dirt reputations. Like almost universally, we obviously won't name them. You know who you are. And if you don't, you'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, that's the big deal. Yeah. I think about that sometimes too. I was like, man, if someone ever saw our WhatsApp log, like we'd be getting sued so bad. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have lawyers yet. Um, So I did want to, I'm going to wrap up, I think, but, um, you know, something we'll come back to is as this sales process has changed, we've focused on like the phone calling bit, but I have, there's this very insidious tide of where the energy is moving. And I send these cause I get them all the time. And I think you get them for the podcast and we've gone over a few of them, but now there's like all these companies emerging on like scraping linked it. It's like, they just took the shitty phone call thing and they applied highly scaled technology and automation to do it on LinkedIn, which really threatens to make that a hellscape. Yeah, I, I think we're getting to a point, though, where people are trying to like operationalize or segment every single part of a business cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So including sales, including like lead generation. I get, fuck, man, I get so many messages talking about. I can help you with lead generation for your podcast. Like, it's a fucking podcast. I don't sell shit <laughs> I know, here. I don't get it. I don't get it. Like you don't what the fuck do are you talking about. <laughs> but you, what that means is that there is now like a, a an emerging sub industry of these. I want to say service firms, manufacturers, whatever the fuck you want to call yeah. them. People who are offering this like lead generation service or this inside sales service or like they're trying to break down different parts of the sales cycle and basically create services based on that where it's just like, or again, if we just go back to being humans, your whole fucking business shtick goes out the window because we won't need it. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to make yourself obsolete. Like and you just you just init, like you just invented yourself. They're just using fucking Chat GPT to create automated messages and then sending it out like fucking Mailchimp. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, I think that'll wrap because I'm gonna have to edit this here in the hotel room, and we'll see how fast I can get it out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's keep jamming on this, and um, soon we'll be talking to uh, 
Martin Oresnik, who is an InfoSec engineer, um, and that'll be coming out soon. But uh, until next time, y'all, stay tuned, subscribe, and we will be back. And one, one more call out, though. Anyone who is a VC or, or angel investor, if you hear our podcast, we are looking to talk to you. Please message us. We want you to. We want you to come on the show. We would love to have your perspective. Sorry to do that, Georgie, but we got to get a VC on here. Yeah, it'll be friendly. Don't worry. <laughs> I promise. Yeah. All right. <laughs>